Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Life List. This is George Armistead, and I'm here with my team members at the podcast here, Alvaro Jaramillo and Molly Brown. Uh, we're very excited to be talking with you and uh, excited to uh, to intro you to Molly. And um, you guys have heard us talk about her a fair bit on previous episodes, but we're looking forward uh, to Molly telling us a little bit about herself. Uh, but I'll start off by asking my partner in crime here, Alvaro, how are you doing today? Hey, pretty good. How are you guys? Real good. Real good. Yeah, doing well. Nice. Yeah. Um, Molly, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and maybe tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. We, I've been I've been following your adventures of late. Um, quite jealous of your, your mode of transportation in particular. Uh, so I'm sure folks will get a kick out of hearing about that. But yeah, maybe intro yourself for the folks and tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Molly Brown from West Virginia. I'm, I've lived here just about my whole life. So I've also really enjoyed birds my entire life. Grew up running around on a farm, chasing birds around the fields and woods, and um, eventually started looking for birds when I was traveling with my family and just where we were out and about. Uh, my basketball coach in seventh grade banded birds too. He, he'd just done volunteer work for a long time. So I got connected to that through him, started hanging out around banding stations and learning a little bit more about that and learning about a lot of warblers and migrants and that sort of thing for the first time in a lot of cases. And that was about it until I got to college and discovered that there was more of a birding community out there than just around the local uh, state parks and whatnot. So I started traveling for birding in college, really got connected to the birding community, and it's it's been all downhill from there. So um, I've also worked with birding companies since 2014, and in 2017, I started my business, which is Nighthawk Agency. We do marketing and business development for birding organizations, mostly tour companies, festivals, Audubon groups, different nonprofits and conservation organizations as well. So it's really, really fun. I think about birds pretty much all the time, whether for work or play or whatever else. And I, I have a lot of fun with that. But yeah, lately we uh, just bought a rooftop tent. So we've been breaking that in for the past six weeks or so after debating on it for pretty much the whole pandemic and then finally pulled the trigger and got it. That's been really fun. So lately I've just been camping and birding and any amount of free time that I've had. Um, we went out to the Delaware Bay over a Memorial Day weekend and caught some shorebird migration there, which is always one of my favorite things to do. And more recently, I just got back last night from doing some breeding bird surveys in the middle of West Virginia, and that was a lot of fun. Otherwise, I'm back in my home office now. I, I sit here and watch my window feeder and their baby thrashers and mm. some chipping sparrows that have just fledged and they've been hanging out outside the window all day. And that's what I've been up to most recently is just watching them. Nice. Yeah, I love that 
it looks like it's like kind of a pop top uh, you've, you've got on the vehicle. Is it a, is it a Subaru you're on? I'm trying to remember. What is that? No, uh, it's a we Jeep. have a, a Jeep. Yeah, yeah. The Gladiator truck. So we've got a roof rack on that and it just like unfolds like an accordion. So we can set up in about two minutes and be in it. And we can just close all of our bedding in and everything when we're traveling. So it's pretty nice, even if we're, uh, you know, getting up at 430 to get to our bird survey spot or whatever. And that's if we want to sit and make a cup of coffee before. <laughs> but uh, we have time to do that. So we're, we're trying to get the most out of it. Yeah, that looks like an awesome birding vehicle. I was like, it's I, pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I need to get me one of those. It looks like, you know. Good for now, anyway. Maybe in July, August, around here, less, uh, less, less than ideal. Yeah. Well, we went to Delaware, and we thought we were going to take the top off and just do like the Bombay Hook Drive and everything, and like photograph straight from the Jeep. And it rained. I don't know how much. I think more than an inch over that weekend. So we didn't get to do that, but we still got some fun birding in. Oh, that weekend was a disgrace. Finally, sun. I think it was no Monday, right? Was finally the the nice day. It was yes. like everybody was so primed, like the outdoors, everything was opened up kind of, you know, for the first time, it felt like people were ready to rock. And then it just like poured rain for three days almost. So, yeah, we had fun though. We, uh, we got to see some really cool things. I guess Saturday we were all like jazzed up and ready to go and we're out there driving around in the rain, but we had, uh, some really close red knots just along, uh, one of the roads there. I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but one of your main stops there on the Delaware side, we had a Virginia rail family and mm. I'd never seen fledgling. Those little Virginia black rails. chicks, the little tiny yes. black chicks. Oh, they're so darn cute. <laughs> it's fantastic. They were just hanging out along the road and we just sat there and watched them. Had Elise Bittern out in the open for a long time. So it, it was still, that you was actually you, our best birding. <laughs> if you squint a little bit at those little chicks, you can count them as black rails. Most people do. <laughs> <laughs> people do it all the time. Ooh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I spent this past weekend down on the Delmarva Peninsula, and uh, my dad and I went out to his kind of place he's been birding since about 1950, I guess. Um, his, actually, one of the first places I ever met Alvaro Jaramillo out there hey, at hey. El- Elliott Island Road. And... Um, yeah. Sorry. I think my neighbor is whistling here, which is kind of interesting, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I was hoping to see, like I was, I was, there's Virginia rails calling all over the place, you know, doing their like kind of, I call it the three stooges call, you know, the new, we were talking about it before. Al. And, um, and you know, I was like, we're, I was like, there's so many around, we're going to find a family. And I was, I, I was like dying to just photograph them, but like photograph those little tiny black chicks that are so absurdly cute. But no dice, no dice on that. But uh, we saw a bunch of other stuff, you know, like 50 plus seaside sparrows and I don't know, just a whole whole bunch of eastern willets. There's about eight black neck stilts mm. breeding out there. So it was it was real nice. And uh, yeah, I spent the rest of the weekend attacking English ivy, trying to liberate trees around our farmhouse uh, <laughs> from English ivy, which... I've got some. I got some poison ivy actually for the first time in years. I haven't got poison ivy in a long time, but managed to pick some up here. So anyway, yeah. What have you been up to, Alvaro? Um, it it's it's you know, California is diverse, you know, and you don't have to go that far to really get some different in 
birds and just habitats. So I had one of these situations where I had to drive my son to this spot, you know, near Monterey and hang out there for a few hours. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? So I went to this birding spot nearby and, you know, there were Cassin's kingbirds and things I don't see down up here, you know, and it's not that far. It's just different habitats. So I was just enjoying like photographing Cassin's kingbirds and Lazuli buntings, all these drier habitat birds. That was, that was cool. That was one of the, one of the most enjoyable couple of hours that I had in, in the last while. Cause I didn't really expect anything. And suddenly I'm like, Oh my God, you know, it's like all these cool birds. But then this weekend we had our first trip to the Farallons, uh, Farallon islands are this massive breeding colony of seabirds and uh, we've never gone in june we always do trips in july and august um june tends to be a little bit worse for weather but there's more birds and although we had fog the numbers of common mers were just amazing you know there's there are three hundred thousand mers there so you, that gives you an idea what kind of a trip it was it was that's some cool. biomass right there yeah. yeah so that was nice and the weather was otherwise great. It was foggy, but it was calm. But I think later we'll talk more about boats. <laughs> yes. I always like to talk about boats. Now, is this the time of year for white sharks out there? Like, I know you've seen white shark there at least a couple times, yeah? Yeah. Um, no. Um, white, like sort of the the kills that happen, you know, that sort of real um, big sharks that go and try to feed on mammals over there. That happens more towards October. Okay, that's what I thought. But yeah. right now, there are juvenile sharks. That, uh, it's a new thing that started happening in Santa Cruz where the young sharks hang out in spring. So April, May, there, there's now even boats going out to see these juvenile sharks. And just they're just right outside the breakers. Basically, you know, a, a few feet from the surfers, <laughs> there's all these juvenile sharks. And weirdly enough, they don't, at that age, they don't, hunt mammals so they're they're fishing so they're hmm. eating fish so theoretically everybody gets along how big is now. it how big are these quote-unquote juvenile white sharks it sounds uh I think they're kind of like seven feet long or something you know <laughs> five to seven feet Still long big so they're not the 15 footers so. right i wouldn't be swimming around yeah it's them. all relative you know, it's, crazy it's like talk. seeing a small anaconda. It's still like the biggest snake you ever saw in the world. You know exactly. Yeah, not messing with that. But that's been my fun for the, you know, and I don't have a pop up tent. I'm jealous too. And oh, by the way, and if you know, if Jeep or Subaru want to sponsor this uh, specific you know, <laughs> podcast, we're open. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully Subaru is not too uh, frustrated with me. I, I was supposed to represent them at the Philadelphia Flower Show last weekend, but I had to, I had to cancel a couple days out, and uh, and so uh, they uh, they I, I'm sure they filled my spot, but I was disappointed. I was looking forward to it. Philadelphia Flower Show is a big deal around here, big deal, and they were doing like little, you know, we were doing like little bird walks, and I was huh. kind of bummed to miss wow. out on it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Subarus, they like the birders. I always I always I always think back about um, you know, Bill Thompson talking about the American Birding Expo. You know, he was trying to pack everybody in there, get people to look at exhibits, and he's always his biggest fear was someone was gonna come on the loudspeaker and be like, 
There's a green Subaru Outback with its lights on outside, uh, you know, and that the whole place was going to just empty out because, you know, it's like Priuses and Subarus. That's pretty much, you know, kind of what a lot of birders drive. Yeah, it's it's the Tilly hat of cars. It really is, (laughs) for sure. And I say that with love. Of course, yeah. There's some good Tilly Hat testimonials, too. I encourage people to read those at some point. But, uh, yeah, so you guys are freshly back from the 50th state. How about that? Aloha, I should say. Aloha. (laughs) Aloha. Yeah, I'm sure you guys went to the Big Island, the Garden Island, the Garden Isle, I think they call it. I'm sure you went Malka. You went Mackay. Tell us. Uh, tell I, I us. only went to the Big Island, though. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. And Molly, you hit what? At least three islands, right? Yeah, we started on Oahu and then went to Kauai and finished up on Big Island. Nice, nice. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, and it was your first trip to Hawaii, correct? First trip. Yep. You got. You got to tell us what you thought. What was your sort of what? What? Um, everybody has an image of what it's going to be like. Right, you know, and sometimes it's completely off. And what, and you know, apart from just the place and the birds, you know, the feel for Hawaii, whatever. What, what were your thoughts after visiting? So before I visited Hawaii, it was really not a place that was on my radar at all until I got more into birding. And like I said, when I started wanting to travel for birding too, because that is not my typical scene when you think about your sort of stereotypical Hawaiian vacation and the tourists and the beaches and the crowds. And that's, that's not what interests me at all. But then I got into birding and would do as probably a lot of birders do kind of pick a bird that I hear something about and get on some sort of deep dive of research on where they are and what their population status is and where to find them and started learning a lot about these different birds that are the, the last remaining endemics of Hawaii and learning about where they were and then learning about the different, you know, I, I guess I'll say off the bit beaten path for tourists, but the native forest of Hawaii. And then it just shot up to the top of my list of places I wanted to go to because it completely fascinates me to see unique places like that. Island uh, evolution completely fascinates me. And then you have the urgency of the fact that the habitat and the birds are declining so quickly. Um, so I was I was so excited to have the opportunity to go there. And then after, I, despite all that research, I really don't think I was prepared to see what, how quickly habitat can change and how rapidly you can see it decreasing and how hard you have to work to find native birds. And so it was just completely mind-blowing. Um it was wonderful and it was very, I, I would say, astounding and sad at the same time. I think it just really made me reflect on making good out of birding and going from that level of enjoying the birds and then really taking it a step farther. And if you care about the birds and care about the planet, then you can see how urgent it is to do something about the the climate change and the habitat change and the destruction that humans are causing everywhere. Yeah. So that was a very, <laughs> that was a sort of 
yeah, it's a big scope. Deeper part of that too. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it is a crazy situation there. I mean, I think uh, I'm sure one of the things I always liked best are the bird names, right? Like they're just fun names, you know, the EEV has got to be one of the best birds in the world. You know, they're just, you know, brilliant things and uh, bright red curved bill, black and white wings bills like a sickle, you know, just like, and, and they, they make those little, of course, it's an onomatopoeic name, right? They say it goes Evie, Evie, and then but then they also have that one that sounds like a car horn a little bit, right? It kind of goes like beep beep, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and all those all those birds are just, I mean, the Aki for short, but the Akipola, what is the Akiapola owl? That was always a favorite one. You guys got to see that, right? I think Molly, you got some good pictures of that. Yeah, I got some fun video. I'm going to put you on the spot here, George, because you're, you're the guy with the big words. Do you remember the name of the state fish of Hawaii? Oh, Alvaro, soft. Did I did I did I put you on the spot? And you're Such not a ready softball. For this? Such a softball, man. Come on, you know you know how I roll. It's of course it's the Huma Huma Nuku Nuku Apua'a. Okay, well done. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, favorite words. The humu humu nuku nuku apua'a. Yeah, it's a great. It's also called like the painted trigger fish or something, right? Which would yeah, know, be a lot easier, but not nearly as fun as humu humu nuku nuku apua'a. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, um, Hawaii, to, to me, one of the things that was amazingly disturbing that, you know, with discussing the trip with Molly and Mandy Talpas, you know, who's, who's the other co-leader of that trip was when they were going through some of these places that back in the day and not, not that long ago that George and, you know, and myself, right. We, we, we used to do that trip, same spots, same places. And they have radically shifted in, in the numbers of birds. And, and we even saw it back in when we were doing the trips um, particularly, I remember the Akeke'e, right? Mm-hmm. That was the, it's what they also call Kawaii Akepa. Right. It's a, you know, beautiful kind of yellowish orange bird that's got a slight little cross on the bill and, and a it, black face, it, black yeah. face. And it sort of feeds in little buds, leaf buds of the Ohialehua. And then it used to be common and you would you would it was one of those things that you'd roll up at the parking lot up there and they were just around yeah as a drive up bird you know drive up bird and now um it's not it's super hard you like Molly was saying you got to work for these things and this has only yeah. been in about a decade it's crazy and and i think north Amer- well not i don't i want to say mainland birders um are unaware at the level of decline that's happening and there's almost no real avenue to do something you know other than i don't know i mean i really don't know what does one do right now other than support the u.s fish and wildlife service you know with our taxes or uh, but what do you do there's you know yeah yeah you hear so many reports you know we've all seen the numbers of bird decline across the world but i've never seen it 
presented so starkly. Now, like I said, this was my first time um, visiting Hawaii, so I- I'm not comparing this to my previous experience like you all are, but um, it just, well, here, West Virginia's second breeding bird atlas just came out, so it's it's a beautiful piece of work. It's a gorgeous book, but I was just looking through it today, and I was looking at just different, going through the warblers and looking at the decline, and Prairie Warbler has just had, I don't, I, I don't have the numbers to quote, but just a very drastic decline. And I was thinking about that. And I, I feel like you can still find a prairie warbler in the right prairie warbler habitat if you look out here. And I can't really comprehend what that would look like if there were six, eight times as many as there were not too long ago. But in Hawaii, you can see it so starkly because it, it's just so, the, the habitat changes are so drastic and quick that you can really see the decline because they're such habitat specific birds in such a unique place. Yeah, and, and with with Hawaii, it's very in some places. What's even more troubling is that the the habit, the actual trees haven't changed, but the entire climate regime has changed because of of global climate change. So mosquitoes have moved up. This is sort of the one of the ma- major deals, and moved up in elevation, and the mosquitoes carry avian malaria. And it used to be there was a line, kind of the mosquito line, and if you right, were above like 3, that line, three thousand feet in Kauai, 3, for example, feet. yeah, yeah, and you you were above that line, you were safe. You know, you were not going to get avian malaria. So all these beautiful native, you know, Hawaiian birds were out there, and, and now that line's moved up. So there's each time there's a little smaller and smaller little snippet of the island yeah, that is mosquito free. It's like a shrinking island, basically. And it's them. yeah, it's crazy. And um, I think some people are working on some. Um, genetically modified mosquitoes to try and curb this this situation but right you know it's it's just alarming because it is part of the u.s right it's you know richest country on earth and yet we're having we're allowing this entire state's uh avifauna to go down the drain and i just think like if we can't figure this out you know how how are we going to be going and you know knocking on the door of the Philippines or something, you know, and say, hey, you know, protect your 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 birds, your habitat and so forth. If we can't do it, uh, to me, it's like, it's not just the fact that we need to preserve those birds, but we need to be the leader, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. The, 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 of course, the big story that came this week was the, that the, the Akikiki, right? That what is also called the Kauai Creeper, but the Akikiki, went in the last census was 2018. I think the previous census before that was 2014. And both years of those census, the bird, that bird had 35 pairs. And this year was the first census in since 2018. And they're down to three pairs, which is just incredibly shocking, precipitous decline. I mean, basically, you know, there's, I guess they have over 40, I think at the San Diego Zoo, um, but that and they've been, um, you know, moving eggs from the wild population to this uh, population there for a number of years. But I think they've that what that population's only produced like three young in over I don't know x many years. I don't, I don't know how long it's been going on there. Um, but it is you you look at this. There is this group, right? It's called Mosquitoes Not Birds, or if you Google like Mosquito Birth Control, which sounds like an awesome band name, 
but uh, <laughs> it's like there's there's something. It sounds like what they want to do is drain the natural bacteria from the southern house mosquito, which occurs which occurs there, right? Which people brought, right? The mosquitoes were never there, but they they were brought by humans centuries ago, and uh, it developed this avian malaria, which they've been spreading to birds, not people. Um, and, and that was through chickens that originally arrived. That's that's right, right? Because that's the what, what do they call it? The, what was the chicken there? The, moa. the, the pua, the moa. right? Yeah, the moa. The moa. That's right. Yeah. yeah, not to be confused with the New Zealand moas, but uh, yeah, um, I think they all taste like moa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to take your advice on that, Alvaro. Being that like the other fourteen species of moas have all been extinct for uh, for centuries. But, Maybe uh, they tasted better than Moa. <laughs> who knows, right? Yeah. Some of them were like 14 feet tall, right? Some of those New Zealand ones, like huge. Host eagles zooming down and picking them off. But yeah, it sounds like they want to drain the bacteria of these, the of the natural bacteria and replace them with this other bacteria, which if passed on from the males to the females would basically greatly reduce the number of mosquitoes. And I'm like, how do we make that happen overnight? You know, like imagine if we actually could save the Akikiki, like if we could, you know, get the Biden administration to like make this a huge priority because there's nothing else going on right now. Right. Um, and <laughs> but imagine if we actually save these birds, like it's, as you say, the habitat is still there. And that's usually the problem. We actually have the habitat for the most part. Right. Like a little different for the Palila, which really is hampered by not having as much habitat. But for a lot of these quiet birds, the habitat's there. That's just this, even malaria is knocking them off. It's tough. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty incredible. I just, I think, you know, one of, hopefully people are listening out there. And one of the things that we just want to have you um, uh, know is that there is a problem out there that you may have not known. It's part of the U S and, you know, let's 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 start communicating on what you know. Maybe it's this mosquito project that we have to support, or um, how do we fund this? How do we get political interest in it? Uh, because it's things that happen on this distant island seem like you know to most people it's it's not relevant. But if you're a birder, it should be relevant. Yeah, they're they're American and, uh, birds we're talking about. Know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I forget how many total. Um, birds are on the American endangered species list. But I think something like a third or half, right, are all they're in are in Hawaii. And these are American birds that we're just watching disappear. Pretty tough. Pretty tough. Um, you know, just to lighten the mood though, I, I want to say that can you imagine if we had, you know, Spanish speaking bird guides and the this bird actually comes back in population. We could have the the, the hills <laughs> ringing out with "Está aquí el aquí kiki." <laughs> aquí el aquí kiki. <laughs> it's a lot of vowels there. A lot of vowels. I know to enunciate. Oh uh, yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's it's tough stuff. We 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 need to talk about it, but it is kind of depressing. And and um, you know, uh, that's not where we don't want to depress you. We want to incite you into some yeah. kind of thought. 
but yeah, I, I guess I is we don't want to dwell on it too much, but I think yeah, encouraging people to maybe contact the representatives about trying to save these whole, these Hawaiian birds, which are American birds, which we're losing, that'd be a good thing to do. One of the cool things though that you can see on Hawaii, and I think is a bit more of a success story, are the seabirds, um, and that is, uh, you know. Those are really fun and really cool and really good looking. And, and some of them are pretty imperiled as well, but there's there's real progress being made in, with seabirds throughout the world, really seabird conservation. They also live a really long time, which is nice. They get a lot of different chances to reproduce. So, uh, so that's nice. And I know, Molly, you got to do your lifer pelagic, right, out there in Hawaii. What was that like? Yes, I did. Yeah, I have wanted to be out on the ocean so much. I did some deep sea fishing when I was, I don't know, middle school, high school, would just, you know, go off the East Coast and do that a little bit. And at one point, I don't know, in my third or fourth year, I just got so seasick. And it just went downhill from there. I tried a few more times. I tried doing short, you know, short excursions for that for for fishing when I was younger and couldn't do it. It was like you know, some of the most miserable moments of my life are when I was on those boats seasick. One of the, that, the, the old saying, right, is that like at, at, at first you're afraid you're going to die and then you're afraid you're not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought about jumping off a few of those boats and just attempting to swim. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I was really excited. I thought this was a good place to, for me to try as far as uh, easy weather conditions and that kind of thing. So I... uh took a bunch of medication and tried not to get too nervous about it and went out and had a fantastic time. It was just really fun, a really, f- from my perspective, a, a nice constant flow of birds. And it was really interesting the entire time. Um, didn't really get bored. I, I did fall asleep for a little bit, but that wasn't out of boredom. That was just the nice Hawaii weather and a ton of Dramamine, I think. So yeah, first impressions. It was it was just a really, really fun day. And I, that's not to say that the birding wasn't just amazing, too. I love the birds that we got. Yeah. It's, the, uh, the boat nap is one of the best naps you can have. Oh, on, yeah. It's, on Earth. Such, it's like so soporific nice. being out there. You know, it's like it's just the motion of the boat. You're just like, you know, it sort of lulls you to sleep. You know, it's pretty yeah, nice. Yeah. We, uh, we were kind of out at like our, our turnaround spot. And Al, I remember you went back to, check the chum and I curled up and next thing I knew we were on our way back and nobody was there. So I was really nervous that I'd missed something, but I, I hadn't, I really don't know how long I was asleep actually. It's the best. No, um, you know, um, for, for me, a couple of things about the, the Hawaii pelagics uh, that I was able to, 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 you know, be in on the, it was that we had done pelagics in the past with you know George and Kauai and Oahu, and the these are smaller islands, so they don't have that much of a um, wind shadow, sort of the lee effect. Uh, so it actually was pretty choppy, and and Kauai can get pretty choppy at times. But the Big Island is a well, they call it the Big Island for a reason, and it's a, it's a huge island. So it on the on the Kona side. There's this, you know, area of flatter ocean, you know, less waves, but, you know, you're incredibly deep water. I mean, I think we were at one point in time, water that was deeper 
than the highest mountain in North America. Wow. So that, that's, that gives you an idea. And it was still calm there. And it was still calm. Um, Hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, it wasn't, wasn't bad at all. And, um, and to me, I was like, okay, this is, this is great. You know? So we have this scenario where you can actually go into deep water and, and get out there and in moderate sized boats and, and the first trip, I, I just couldn't believe how much we saw. And, you know, it was like a, the record number um, Hawaiian petrels that had been seen since anybody remembered, you know, in, in, in Hawaii. <laughs> you know, uh, still haven't the, seen you know, that. The local bird, people so. were like, oh, that, that doesn't happen. We usually see like three, and I don't know how many we saw. Like, I'm shooting Alvaro nasty looks because I still haven't seen that bird. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um and and the other thing for me was you know somebody who goes out a lot on boats just to see a bird that i had always wanted to see like just like you know couldn't imagine what it was going to look like in real life was the bulwer's petrel which is this all dark and you think you know why would you be excited this is whole it's a brown bird it's like but it's got this shape and it's yeah, got this the contours of that thing. Yeah. Contour. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, I don't know. I can understand when it's like a bat or a nighthawk. Yeah. 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 Something. Yeah. The, you cool. know, car people talk about the lines on a car, or whatever. I, I don't get into that, but I get it because I see the lines on a bird like that, like the, the streamlined mm-hmm. nature. And oh, I got thrilled by Bulwer's petrels. And yeah, we even, you see more than one after that. What's that? You see more than one? Oh, we saw a whole bunch. I mean, we, we, you know, it was a lot. I don't know. I don't remember how many, but like maybe. dozens? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that I've only seen thrilling. one. I think the only the one I've ever seen was <laughs> off Kauai. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a great time, that time of year. Uh, little, you know, I think. When we did the trips, George, we were a little earlier. This this time of year in April is fantastic, and I think, you know, we we've, we've been talking, you know, with Mandy about doing in the fall sometimes just uh, another set of pelagics that people could go and visit just to do sort of multiple pelagic trips out there. It's pretty all the wild. juvenile birds out then, probably too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we saw sperm whale. I was going to say, what about mammals? You guys get any mammals? Sperm whale, yeah, you know, yeah. the cool. organ of spermaceti. That's that huge, like cavernous, weird organ. I guess it's designed to like for for them to like withstand the pressure of diving down and fighting giant squids at you know depths untold. Yeah, um, I just I was I just think it's so cool. There's they have there's something called the organ of spermaceti. It's you know sort of like, it's up there with like the loops of Henley and you know some some of these other weird. Weird biological. Yeah, there's the ampullae of Lorenzini. Oh, you know one? good one, Al. That's on sharks. Ampullae wow. of Lorenzini. I, yes. Are those <laughs> those like the little dots in the skin? Are those in the nose? Yeah, and they're like electrical receptors. Yeah, that's you know, right. So. I forgot about those. Man, that is <laughs> some serious nerd stuff. There. Well done. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. Did you well, just call me a nerd? <laughs> yeah, man. It takes one to know one. Yeah. But um, yeah, Hawaii, uh, the, the whole, whole idea of, of um, pelagic trips in Hawaii, it, even though people have been doing them for, for years, it, it hasn't really 
<clears throat> been um, kind of a vi- I like you know California. Everybody knows you know California. You visit California, you got to do a pelagic trip, you know. And and uh, a lot of birders have been visiting Hawaii for a while and not doing pelagic trips. But I think now one of the things that did shift with the ABA. Um, incorporating Hawaii into the ABA list is not, it's not only that, you know, people are interested going out there for the ABA list, but the, the seabirds have become much more prominent because there's many more seabird species that you can see there that you can't see anywhere else. Yeah. Some of those uh, cocoa area types. The land birds, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a, uh, that's been good. And as you said, that's been, it's been a, a conservation success story in that, Many seabird populations have been, you know, protected by uh, predator-proof fencing and all this kind of stuff, you know. So it's uh, so it's not all bad news in Hawaii. There's been amazing good news on the seabird front. Nice. I'm hoping my my almost two year old neighbor upstairs, Dylan, is sounds like he's having a little bit of a rough day. So hopefully that doesn't come through too much on our on our broadcast, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the We've city living, you know, such is life. Um, yeah. Well, I, I was jealous. I was seeing your pictures of seabirds out there. And yeah, you know, I I think you guys know we were talking a little bit. Of, I went down to North Carolina, um, do some pelagics uh, with our friend Brian Pattison and Kate Sutherland, the seabirding group, and was pretty excited about that. Quite different than your... Uh, the Pacific pelagics you're accustomed to out there, Alvaro. Um, but uh, they did see, I was I, like a few days before I was due to go out. Um, I saw Brian posted a picture, nice picture of a wedge-tailed shearwater. And I thought, oh, cool. Brian's posting some of his old Hawaii photos. That's pretty neat. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this was off North Carolina today. And first... Atlantic record ever anywhere in the Atlantic Ocean of uh, wedge-tailed shearwater. And they had a nice pale morph cruising along. I think they had it for like, 50, no, I guess they had it for like 10 minutes almost, I think. But uh, that was pretty wild. I was bummed to have missed that by a couple of days. But man, I had I was set to do four trips. The last one, we got blown out. But three beautiful days, adult long-tailed Jaegers, Lots of South Pole skuas following the boat at length. And of course, always the star of the show, the black cap petrels. And we had one day where they were hungry, the black cap petrels, you know, pterodroma. We were talking about the shape of birds, right? And they pterodroma genus of petrels means winged runner. And I always think of those as like the sports cars of the bird world. They're They're built for speed and agility and... And they can really move. And uh, there was one day the black caps, they were hungry and they were zipping around close. And it was pretty impressive. Managed to get some really nice photos. I was thrilled about that. Uh, But yeah, enjoyed some time offshore as well. We didn't have too much uh, in terms of the uh, mammals uh, this time. We did have some uh, Gervais beaked whales like real quick, just like, you know, they just kind of, Popped up like twice, sounded. It was a little rough though. We didn't, we weren't able to catch up with them. And then, uh, and then we had some offshore bottlenose, which are quite different than the ones everybody sees from shore. You know, there's right along the shore, you see these like little 
bottlenose dolphins. Um, and they just hang around inshore. The offshore ones are much bigger. They're like two or three times bigger, it seems like. I don't know. That, that might be – I think they are over two times bigger. They certainly seem hmm. quite a bit larger. I'm sure they're different species, as many have postulated before. But that was pretty cool. Not uh, not quite the same as your your West Coast trips out there, Alvaro, where you guys have to bundle up every day. We uh, we enjoyed pretty nice weather in yeah. Carolina. Yeah, I mean, and Hawaii is the same thing. It's like you know, shorts weather pelagic, you know. And if I could get used to that, I you know, got to say, it's kind of you know, I mean. It, it it was nice, but here often middle of summer or the fall, it can be freezing cold, you know, where you've got layers upon layers, people wearing, you know, woolen hats or as Canadians call it, a toque and uh, getting your toque out there and look looking for albatrosses and so forth. But that cold water, it is the key, you know, it's the food is in that nutrient rich water. So that's where the humpback whales are and blue whales and all this, all this kind of stuff in the krill. Um, and it, and this year it's actually particularly cold and the food is really building this year. Like it's, it's looking like a great year, but yeah, we're, we freeze our butts off on the trips here. And sometimes it's kind of choppy too. Not always actually. Uh, fortunately the, the winds always come from the same direction basically. So we have predictable, situation on winds just like you know in hawaii they have the trade winds are coming in from the specific direction most of the time but that's one of the things i would always kind of i was a little freaked out about with north carolina the winds can shift to any direction so you don't know if you know if you're if you're battling the wind on the way out it could be that the weather changes and you're battling the wind on the way back you can't predict like oh you know we're gonna put in our time now and then it's all gonna be pushing us along on the way home, you know, like we can do here. So that, that's, that's uh, different, but yeah, some more variables in play. On. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more variables in play down there in Carolina. Brian's really good at reading the weather and having a sense of what we can and can't get away with out there. It gets us back, but uh, yeah, no, uh, love spending time offshore. It's the, you know, I would say seabirding is the hardest kind there is. Um, you know, it's the birds are moving, you're moving. The light is tricky, tough to get a read on a lot of these things. Most, a lot of them are, are studies in black and white and gray. They're not, you know, it's not like there's painted bunting sitting around out there on fence posts, you know, it's, uh, it's unfamiliar birds and difficult uh, terrain, but man, they put on such a show and they are such, you know, such inspiring birds. Um, that's why you got things and, like the rhyme of the ancient mariner and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, there are some of these birds that you have essentially, um, you know, you have them all day, you know, multiple views and so on. Great. But there are other birds on a pelagic sometimes that it's like a two second window or five second window. You have to get on that bird and it's called out, you know, two o'clock. Something's going, you know, this is going through. We actually, we had a Newell Shearwater that way, that it just, if you were up front, uh, and this is a very rare Hawaiian bird, seabird endemic, um, you were at front of the boat and you were looking and you were paying attention. You saw this thing kind of zip off, but um, it's tough, you know, and, and you don't get a second shot. You can't chase anything down, really. You don't, you know, um, un unless there's chumming going on and there's a specific, you know, species that comes to chum, 
that may be your, you know, shot at it again. But oh man, that that level of un- unpredictability is frustrating, but it's also addictive, right? Because you, if it was so predictable, you wouldn't be all that, you know, it wouldn't be fun. You just yeah, it's know. a roll of the dice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, you might lose your toque in the wind. You never know what's going to happen. You know, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> we we used to call those Jacques Cousteau hats. You know. <laughs> It's like just like me and my friends, we called them Jacques Cousteau hats. You know how Jacques Cousteau always had like the little blue, you know, navy blue toque. Um, yeah, and, and it was kind of small for his. Yeah, head. it was, it was too small like, for his head usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it a was a look. Nine. It was a thing. Yeah, it's a pretty slick look. You know, if you could pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, guys, we are at forty-five minutes here, and I think uh, we should probably wrap up for the day. Um, but always good catching up with you, Alvaro, and really good to catch up with you, Molly, too. Nice for, for folks to hear more about you and learn more about you. We will do this again in the not-too-distant future, I'm sure. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it was and, good fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do more of these roundtables, you know, especially uh, as we get out. And I think recently we'd had quite a bit to – to chat about. So uh, nice to chat today, guys, and good to chat with everybody here on Life List. And yeah, we'll be back at you soon with more information. So long, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.